0: Hello and welcome to Pause and Listen, a podcast series brought to you by Big Dog Pet Foods, the leading pet nutrition provider in Australia with over 20 years of experience within the pet industry. We provide educational resources for pet parents and are proud of being transparent in everything we do. Hosted by various members of our Big Dog team, we bring you interviews and deep dives into pet nutrition and care, training and regular Ask a Vet segments. Thank you for tuning in. Get your tails wagging and we'll get yapping. Hello everyone,
1: welcome to Pause and Listen. I am Nat, the Marketing Manager here at Big Dog Pet Foods, and today I have a co-host, Jasmine Clark, our content strategist, is here today with us. Hi, Jess. Hi, (laughs) Nat. Today we're both here because we have a very special guest joining us to discuss a very important topic, especially for pet foods, which is pet food labels, and how to read them and understand them. So, Jess, why don't you introduce our guest?
2: Of course, Nat. Today we have Claire Kearney. Claire is a passionate pet nutritionist and writer specializing in canine and feline nutrition and has provided lots of education on pet food and the industry. She's mum to Pip and Tex and also to Norm, a range of meal toppers and freak shakes. So welcome Claire, thanks for coming. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Um, Perfect. So
1: Claire, why don't you start by telling us a little bit about your background?
3: Yep. Okay. Um, So I... I guess I got into this, um, sort of industry basically just off the back of getting a dog. (laughs) I rescued a Kelpie in 2015, uh, 2014 rather. And I, one of the things that I did when I was like looking into, or just being excited, like it was getting a dog, you know, I'm one of those people, I look into everything when I'm excited and I looked into, you know, what do I feed him? And I found that at the time I couldn't really find the product that I wanted to feed him like I looked into the different you know different approaches to feeding I now know that Big Dog would have been around but I was in Melbourne so it wasn't as easy to find down there at the time (laughs) originally I was gonna start a dog food business like that was my plan but through kind of doing my nutrition education I realized that there was a bit more of a gap in the market for experts um, because there was so much information it was so overwhelming and you know there were so many people that were in the situation that I found myself in getting a dog Um, I kind of, I guess, pivoted and organically just ended up in this funny little niche because I have a communications background. That's what I studied at university prior to doing my nutrition studies. Um, Yeah, where I kind of, I guess, had this interesting combination of skills where I was able to I guess I was uniquely positioned to be a bit of an educator because I had the communications background. So I've sort of formed this funny little business where I do (laughs) lots of content creation for other businesses, but also combine that with um, nutrition education. And, you know, I do recipe development, things like that. Um, So that's how I got into it. And then I started Norm last year with a friend of mine who's outside the industry, um, just because we saw a real gap for, I guess, things that were a bit more fun and playful but still really nutritious and a bit unique. We've I don't know we just there's so many, I don't mean this as a like to be nasty, but there's a lot of things out there that are just, you know, they're very repetitive and it's like it's the same thing, just in different packaging. And we wanted to create something that was genuinely just not like anything else. Um so we, you know, tried to find like the weirdest things that we could find and put them in a product that was still genuinely nutritious. Um yeah, so that's That's my kind of story, I
1: guess. (laughs) But yeah, see, perfect person to help us talk about this topic today. Uh, (laughs) So to start, why do you think that it's important for pet parents to understand the labels?
3: Um, Well, I mean, it's just from the most basic standpoint of knowing what you're feeding your animal. I think that's why it's important. But I think it's particularly important for pet parents as opposed to anyone else buying any other product because I think these products are not always marketed in a way that's particularly honest, <laughs> or it's yeah it's I think that these products in particular there's some there's some things that go on in this industry that I think mean that it's very easy to be misled as a consumer, um so I think it's really important for pet parents to understand the some of the tactics that I use so that they so that they they genuinely know what they're feeding the animals,
1: yeah. Um, and, and you do have a very specific interest on pet food labels <laughs> and, and, and I guess that's why, right. Just because there is a lot of, um, things happening out there that it's not as great as it should be. Um, so is that the main reason that made you, um, gravitate towards this topic?
3: Definitely. Yeah. I mean, it's, I guess it's something that I, um, I'm passionate about it because I think that it needs to be improved. <laughs> I'm passionate about it because, it, you know, it's something that I just, it, it's very much at odds with my values, everything that I stand for in, you know, the work that I do. And, you know, my role in this industry is to try and be as transparent and as honest and as, you know, um, down to earth or whatever you want to call it, <laughs> you know, just, um, you know, to, to, I guess, to act with integrity. And I think that that's, something that's lacking in a lot of the the packaging in this industry which is really unfortunate because it doesn't need to be if you're making a good product you don't need to be dishonest um and that's you know that's why it's not I don't think it's anywhere near as much of an issue when you look at fresh food products and like whole foods like big dog you know there's no dishonesty in your packaging because you don't have anything to be dishonest about um and I think that you know that's I think if I think that Improving labelling is just one part of improving the industry overall and improving the products that it makes because you don't need to be deceptive with your labelling if you're making good products. And if you force people to be honest with their labelling, they will automatically make better products because if That's they have totally to be honest true. about why their products yeah. are labelled in that way, then, they, you know, no one wants to do that.
2: You have an excellent BS radar,
3: I've noticed. <laughs> I do
2: enjoy seeing it online um what do you think is like the most or without naming names or calling anyone out but some of the most dangerous pet food
3: marketing that you've seen gosh that's a good question I mean there's I think there's I think the ones that I find the most troubling are the brands that really kind of I guess position themselves as being the better alternative when they're not (laughs) Like there are brands out there that are, you know, they're the most premium. And when I say brands, I'm talking about, um, you know, like commercial kibble type products. Like you, your more traditional dog foods that you see on the, you know, on the um, the long life shelves. Um, I, I find those brands that position themselves as being extremely premium. You know, we don't do any of the stuff that the other brands do. We're different, we're, you know, we're all whole foods. We know our farmers, like all that stuff. Like that's great if it's true. If it's not true, then you're worse than the brands that are just owning the fact that they're not that great. (laughs) Um, That's, yeah, that's probably the stuff that I have the biggest problem with. Also because it's, you know, you're taking money off consumers for products that aren't actually that much better than the ones that are half the price. (laughs) Um, Yeah. But I've, I've interrogated a lot of these brands. Like I contact them, I ask them questions and ultimately I've gone around in circles a lot. Like it often, like it's not unusual for it to take weeks to get an actual answer, um, but I find that, you know, those ones are, those brands that position themselves as very premium when they're not are the ones that are the least likely to be forthcoming with answers, which is, you know,
1: yeah, red flag. Yeah, it does. You do often mention the too good to be true labels, um, uh, and why we need to be smart about them. Um, can you give us some examples of of things that looks too good to be true? Um, that pet parents can start like, you know, noticing them the more?
3: For sure. I mean, the first example that comes to mind with that is if you see a bag of dog biscuits that says that it's eighty percent kangaroo or eighty percent, you know, some other meat, it's not It's literally impossible for a bag of dog biscuits to be eighty percent meat, in the true sense of that. It's you know like it's there's a um, like they're they're permitted through the labelling regulations to use what they call a rehydration factor, which is basically a multiplier of four because water you know water makes up about seventy five percent of meat. So if they use like a, a dried meat concentrate, they can advertise this hypothetical, what it would have been before they dried it, percentage. Oh. <laughs> and it can't do that. Like that's it's written in the rules. And I've I've asked brands. I had one brand that I asked them whether their labelling claim was of the 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 raw weight or if it was the dried weight, and they told me that they couldn't tell me because it was their um, intellectual property. <laughs> oh wow. <laughs> what do you mean? I'm just asking you whether there's 80% kangaroo in this or 20% feels like a reasonable question. Yeah, um,
1: it is. <laughs> yeah. If you, if you use a multiplier for one of the percentages, wouldn't that make up more than hundred percent?
3: Yep. You have to do it. In the all. end. <laughs> yeah. And it doesn't, you know, it only works with something like a meat because it's 75% water. If you do that with, like, chickpeas, there's only 10% water in chickpeas, so it's not going to make a significant difference. But if you do it with something that's 75% water, then, yeah, you're massively misrepresenting the amount of that product that actually goes, or the amount of that ingredient that actually goes into the product. I've had I've asked companies and they've come back to me and been like, no, 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 and I'm like, are you sure? Because that mathematically just doesn't make sense. And they go away and look into it and they're like, oh, actually, yeah, you're right, that is a rehydrated it's like I'm oh not, my god wow make a biscuit that is 80 percent raw meat yeah. <laughs> it will just fall apart yeah 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 i think that's probably yeah i would say that that's one of the that's one of my pet hates <laughs> it's just so, yeah it's so deceptive it is
1: and to start on the how to read labels part um can you explain to us how the ingredients are displayed on pack
3: yeah, I mean the basic. I guess you know in, the ingredients list is the only place where they have to list everything in um, weight order. Okay. In the, the you know the traditional sense, like like it, the same as um, human food. Um, but I guess the the there's things within that to be conscious of, <laughs> um, and one is again the the water weight versus the the dry weight of things. So like any if you're looking at um, like a a biscuit-based product, like a kibble, it's pretty much always the meat portion comes from like a a dried meat concentrate or a meat meal. Um, But they don't always advertise it as that. Sometimes it will be listed as meat meal. Other times it will be listed as just sort of like the whole meat. Um, And again, then you've got the water that you need to account for because that water doesn't end up in the actual product. So it's removed at some point in the process, which is 75% of the weight. So if you've got that you know, whole chicken as the number one ingredient versus chicken meal, one of them is 75% water. The other one's not. The one with 75% water is obviously going to be a lot heavier. So it goes at the front. And then you'll also find that some, some brands will use both, um, which I think gives the illusion that there's twice as much which chances are there isn't <laughs> um,
1: yeah. um,
3: and then they do the inverse with um, I guess like less desirable ingredients so you your more carbohydrate based ingredients or legumes things like that they'll often um, spread that across lots of different ingredients so that it appears that there's less of the ingredients list gets longer but they go further down the list so it appears that there's less of them you see really blatant versions of that with like peas and pea fiber and pea protein it's like if you've got three ingredients that are based on peas there's obviously quite a lot of peas in that food (laughs) (laughs) Um, and then there's other you know even even using different types of starches like corn and wheat and soy or you know four different legumes things like that nutritionally those things aren't going to add much you know variety to the food but it means that each of those ingredients appears further down the list and as if there's less of them, Um, which, again, I think is pretty deceptive. Um, I'm sure that, you know, they will tell you that it's because they all serve a different nutritional purpose and stuff, but at the end of the day, I don't think that that's necessarily completely truthful. (laughs) Um, Yeah, and then you also see in ingredients lists, um... There'll be things like superfoods and you know, like even things like kale. Um, and sometimes there's you know, they're in such small portions that they're after the synthetic vitamins and minerals. <laughs> oh, like, they're literally like, micro yeah, the point. <laughs> and, um yeah, so I guess it's the ingredients list is one way to see what's in the food, but at the same time, it you know, unless you really know how to unpack it, it's not necessarily as uh indicative of the makeup of the food as. You would hope <laughs> uh,
2: um listeners can you explain what meat meal is
3: oh
1: uh, i don't know do you really want me to
3: <laughs> um, so meat meal is it's a rendered product which means that it's very 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 heat treated um if you go to the there's a a renderers association um, they have a website and at the I, I don't know if it's still there. I haven't been to their website for a little while, but they advertise that they are a recycling facility primarily. <laughs> um, so they make things like soaps and, you know, different. They make a lot of fertilisers. They make like meat and bone meal, um, which I don't inherently have as much of a problem with. <laughs> um, they make, yeah, soaps, fertilisers and pet food ingredients um, and feed meal ingredients. Um, So for like livestock and stuff, but it's essentially, it's, there are different, you know, different grades of it, I'm sure. Um, But ultimately the process is, I think, pretty much the same across the board where they just heat treat this, you know, meat until it's um, separated. The water and the fat and the meat, the protein is separated. And then they take the, the meat portion and they dry it to a powder and kind of grind it so it's you know it's advertised as being this like it's like it's three times more concentrated in protein it's like it's not you just took everything else out (laughs) Um, like it is in the sense that it's yeah there's a lot of protein in a small space but it's not it's not more it's just that there's a it's a bigger percentage of a smaller amount (laughs) um yeah so it's it's a very very concentrated but also very very processed um meat product that is made from questionable quality ingredients.
1: Yeah. And uh, that goes into the dry matter versus as fed as well, right? Can you explain the the difference between them?
3: Yeah. I mean, dry matter and as fed can be applied to anything. One, it's more just like, I guess it's at its essence, it's just a mathematical calculation where one is without any moisture and one is with the moisture Um, left in but in terms of when you're looking at pet food it's you know like uh I guess something like big dog would be you know I'm sure you guys advertise well I know that you guys advertise as being as fed um because your product contains water in it so it's like you know it is you're you're listing the um the true nutritional content as you would feed the food um versus if you guys did a dry matter version you took all the water out of it it would be much much higher because you would end up with sort of like a small powdered version of it um so often they will use the dry matter version in pet food um and the justification for this i can understand is that they um you know, pet food has, it has many different forms. So there's there's dry pet food, there's wet pet food, there's semi-wet pet food, there's, you know, there's all different versions of it. There's like the cooked rolls and stuff. So obviously all those different foods have different moisture contents. So to have everything as fed, they would look very different. They would be, you know, very disparate um, in terms of their protein percentages and their fat percentages and stuff. And it could, you know, you could definitely make a strong case that that makes it harder for consumers to navigate it Or what you could do is just do per hundred grams like human food (laughs) Um, and then people can work it out for themselves. Um, Having it purely percentage based means that the water content does make a difference and it does make it harder for you to work out because you know, if you've got a very concentrated product, the serving size is going to weigh a very small amount versus a non concentrated product. You've still got all your water in there. So the serving size is bigger, Um, but yet they, using I think using percentages purely is one of the one of the main issues. If you didn't use percentages and you just did everything per hundred grams or per serve like we do with human food, then people could navigate it quite easily. Um, but yeah, essentially as fed is, you know, as the product appears, dry matter is this um version of the nutritional panel that has all of the moisture removed. Yeah. Did I explain that in a way that was easy to understand?
2: No, it was awesome. <laughs> monitoring this and yeah. so so who's He's monitoring <laughs> yeah they are, yeah But who's monitoring this and holding pet food companies accountable then like how like how are they allowed to do this are you saying that before you're saying all they have to list is the ingredients in order of weight but who's actually even
3: checking that who goes i mean the- in australia you're not legally required to do anything because we don't have a, you know, we don't have a statutory or federally regulated pet food industry. Um, The regulations that we do have require you to meet certain um, benchmarks, which I know you guys do. Um, And that is, I mean, when I say that's the only thing, that's not the only benchmark, it's just the only place where they are required to list ingredients in order of weight. Um, so that, for example, that example that I used earlier where you can use a rehydration factor, um, for marketing claims, you can't do that in the ingredients list. The ingredients list is the one place where you have to list it as it goes into the food. Um, yeah, but there's other, there's other things that you're required to do. Like, um, you know, there's labeling requirements that, uh, refer to, um, whether you can label a food by a specific protein. So like whether you're allowed to call your food beef dog food or whether it has to say with beef, like those things all regulated by the percentage of beef that is in the food. Um, they're all extremely low. <laughs> I was going
1: to say there are some shocking percentages.
3: Yeah. that people... high. I'm oh, sorry.
1: Yeah, I was going to say that companies can benefit from, you know, that, that allowance.
3: Yeah, I think the highest one that you have to make is like 5%. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, and it's like it only has to be 5% of that that meat. It has to have 20% meat in total, but only 5% has to be the labelled meat. So it's like, yeah. Um, And then if you use something like with beef or beef casserole, but even lower again.
2: Yeah.
3: <laughs> That's I think. Uh, my theory, not proven, but my theory is that's why we're seeing all these foods that are now like with real chicken or with real beef. It's not because there's this like artificial alternative. It's because the otherwise it's weird that it would just say with chicken. <laughs> it's like having the real in there makes it seem like it, it just changes the emphasis, um, takes it away from the with and puts it on the real. Um, but, yeah, it's it's quite frightening how little of the advertised protein actually has to be in foods mm. and I
2: see that seems really dangerous for our dogs and cats in particular like cats uh carnivores
3: yeah definitely like- super dangerous especially yeah cats in particular as you say like they're obligate carnivores they don't need any of the you know processed starches let alone kind of you know a lot of these foods are more than half processed starches it's yeah it's hard for cats as well because if a cat's been on a diet like that then sometimes they'll have trouble they adapt to it sometimes it's difficult to then change um but that doesn't mean that health problems go away <laughs> it just means that it's harder to fix
1: and they they're not water drinkers so a dry food leaves them in a like a dehydration state
3: yeah exactly they're desert creatures they're designed to get their food their water from their food but then we feed them a food that has no water in it <laughs> yeah yeah Sad, that was a good idea <laughs> yeah <Yep>. yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah it's like like i just think like you know i've been here for a few years now and i still can't get my head around some things like and i'm like and i'm like how you know, can like pet parents you know does your average pet parent get their head around it it's like
3: I don't get, oh I get overwhelmed and you know I particularly when I went down my rabbit hole about a year ago of um I think it was during during the lockdowns baby <laughs> became one of my like one of my little pet projects um was really interrogating labeling and reaching out to companies to try and um you know get like I guess I was questioning myself my own understandings of it because it is so overwhelming it is so confusing and I think that there's a lot of um you know, really intentional manipulation that goes into it sometimes. And I would be like, oh, my God, I think I've actually found a brand who's like, you know, they're making a really good dog biscuit and they're labelling it honestly. And then I'd spend like three weeks emailing them and just be like, oh, no, I was right. <laughs> they're not They're the same. <laughs> they're just trickier. <laughs> but, yeah, it's like I've been doing this for years and I still get fooled. I, you know, what hope to unsuspecting pet parents have in this- businesses start marketing their products honestly exactly
2: um and during the I, I know a little while ago you wrote an article about human grade versus pet grade meat we did yeah <laughs> which because we had that really yeah. awful awesome case here um that down in Victoria where they were saying that there was contaminated pet meat and so you did a deep dive into human grade Um, versus pet meat I don't know if you wanted to talk a little bit about the difference as well so pet parents
3: yeah um the difference is I guess mainly just that they're regulated by two different um instruments or maybe instruments is maybe not the right word but there's you know a lot of things in Australia are regulated by Australian standards they're not all enshrined in law but these ones are um so there's a, a pet meat standard and then there's a human meat standard um and they're similar in their makeup, but there's some very, very significant differences in terms of what's allowable and what's not. Um, And the human meat standard is much, much stricter and has a lot more, um, I guess, uh, a lot more things that are not permitted than the the pet meat standard. Um, And they're also enforced differently by different states. Um, so meat regulation is a state issue um, in Queensland you guys would be well aware that there is no dis Queensland's the one state where there is no distinction between pet meat and human uh, well meat that's intended for humans um, everything has to meet the human standard in Queensland so hot tip get your pet food that's produced in Queensland <laughs> um, but in other states there's the two different standards and you know like for example in Victoria they're both enforced by the same body and that body is very very strict and you know very vigilant however they are bound by the rules that are set out in the standard which I think is uh, problematic in some ways let's say um and it's things like you know if there's if you observe that there's something wrong with like the the carcass or whatever um you know in most cases in the human standard you just have to throw it away um or you can refer it to the pet <laughs> meat <laughs> section um and in a lot of cases in like the pet meat um situation if there's you know if there's some something visibly wrong with the animal you just cut that bit off and you can use the rest of it so it's kind of like it's yeah I, I would say that it's it's definitely a lower standard um and there's also some um I guess some things like you're supposed to put blue dye in it and all that sort of stuff um, to really clearly label it as being pet versus human, which not 100% sure how how well that is enforced. I personally have never seen blue dye on pet meat, but I don't really buy it. So I'm probably not the best person to ask. I mean, it's not to say that it's all bad. I think that there are within you know, pet grade meat and human grade. Well, within human grade meat, it's all this, you know, it's all meets the same standard. Within pet grade meat, I think that there probably are people who are doing the right thing. Um, It's just very difficult as a consumer to know the difference. Um, Yeah, there's also like the things that go into like rendered meat would all come from the pet grade industry. Um, And there's a few things that, you know, go on in there that I think are pretty pretty problematic like for example when they render meat um, one of the things that they often render is the heads of livestock because there's no use for that in any other part of the industry or any other part of the food chain rather and um, they don't remove the plastic ear tags um, and that's you know the renderers the president of the renderers association is on record saying that to the abc like yeah we don't remove ear tags <laughs> Like, so the plastic just gets melted down and rendered with the meat that then goes into your pet food
2: your face I think I didn't know that face. Yeah. I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> I don't get, yeah, I not even so. I I know.
3: Think <laughs> think I think what they do is they have like I don't know how I know this. <laughs> it's just like information I've accumulated over the years. My understanding is that they use magnets to um they like put magnets over it so they pull up any um really? bits of like metal that would get in there somehow um but plastic obviously isn't detected in the same way um and (laughs) yeah i don't even have a safe place yeah
2: right yeah they're super gross
3: i'll find you the article it was yeah it's in the abc it was when they um i think it was the last time around when there was all that stuff with mega esophagus the last big kind of pet food scandal that happened um and you know, every time there's a big pet food scandal, like the newspapers and stuff will do some digging into it and find out all these horrifying things, but then it always just sort of goes away. <laughs> um and then, you know, that happened again with the, the stuff that happened last year. I think it was last year, um, in Victoria with the, you know, the, the meat that was um well, it, it killed a quite a handful of dogs, I think. I think there was about forty dogs that unfortunately didn't make it. Um and you know, that that instance was that it was meat that people thought was beef that was actually horse meat that had been um so the horses were from the northern territory and they'd eaten this plant that is not toxic to horses horses can eat it but it's very toxic to um dogs um and the horses had eaten this plant and they the horses were not intended to be used for pet meat they were going to be exported because there's quite a I think, big international market for horse meat. So they were they were supposed to be exported out of Queensland, but I think it was maybe due to do with COVID. They got diverted to Victoria for pet meat and because the labelling, oh, that's one of the other key differences in the pet meat standard is that the labelling is very different. You don't actually have to label things as what they are. Um, So it got diverted to Victoria. And I don't think the retailers who were selling it had any idea what it was, but that's the problem. (laughs) Um, And, you know, it's, I think it, I think it can be toxic to humans, but obviously humans don't eat, you know, they don't eat 500 grams of it a day, every day for a week. So it doesn't build up in the same way. Whereas when, you know, with animals, they often eat the same food over and over. So these animals were eating this beef, inverted commas. It was actually horse meat that had this toxin in it that, yeah, it was toxic to the dogs. And, you know, to their credit, the fact that these, um, you know, these industries are regulated by the, you know, the meat regulator, the statutory meat regulator, meant that they were able to backtrack it and find it and recall it. But I think the problem lies in the fact that it happened to begin with, not the fact that they were able to recall it, you know, because the end result was that a number of, you know, people's beloved pets died in the process.
2: Yeah. Also, we've moved away from saying "human grade meat" on our labels. I don't know if we've like um, met, talked about that. Yeah, he, sorry, human grade ingredients we've moved away to fresh and carefully sourced ingredients um, on our packaging. That's what it says. And then I think through on our website and um, social media, we'll be saying um, "fresh and carefully sourced ingredients." What do we say through the human supply oh, yeah, from the human it's supply it's chain?
3: Yeah, and that's what it is. that You know, human grade and pet grade, they're not regulated terms. They're not terms that, you know, they don't exist in any kind of um, legislation or anything. They're just terms that people have started using. Um, but really the supply chain is the thing that's different and whether it comes from the pet supply chain or the human supply chain, that is the key difference. So I think that's actually a more accurate way of labelling it. You know, it's not a grade of meat. It's the supply chain that it comes from that distinguishes it.
1: Yeah, yeah, and we moved away. Yeah, Yeah. we moved away because there was a lot of pet parents getting confused. You know, if they could eat the food
2: and that sort of thing, it did happen. Yeah, Yeah. yeah, we did have a little bit of that. But yeah, people just, especially you know, new pet parents, they were genuinely. We just had a lot of questions. What does that mean? Like,
3: yeah, and And it's a yeah, it's a fair question because if you'd never, it, if you weren't previously aware that there was a pet grade and a human grade supply chain or, you know, different type of meat then it would be and, you know, it wouldn't necessarily make sense. Um, and I think, yeah, just saying that it comes from the same supply chain that we get our food from, it's, yeah, it's, I guess it's an easier to understand um, explanation.
2: We can do... Um... I don't know, I wanted to ask you your thoughts on breed-specific marketing.
3: No, I mean, I think, like, they, they want you to think that it's breed-specific food, but I think it really is just marketing. Like, some of the differences between those foods are the, the shape of the biscuits. <laughs> like, um, I think, you know, there's some that have slightly more omega-3 or, you know, slightly more of this or whatever, but the, the amounts are so minuscule and not necessarily linked to a breed requirement. (laughs) You know, all all dogs have fundamentally the same nutritional requirements. If a dog has if they're predisposed to joint issues or something, adding a little bit more omega-3 supplement to a dry dog food is not gonna it's not gonna avoid that. (laughs) You know, you're gonna have yeah, I think I think it's I think it's marketing. I don't think that there's um much more to it really probably goes a bit of a way to confusing people and overwhelming people even more. So they go, oh, well, this food suits my dog, so I'll buy it.
2: Yeah, absolutely. That works on me. Well, it did once upon a time. Um, I wanted to ask if there are any other brands, and you don't have to name them, but do you see many pet food brands showing behind the curtains and showing their food being made?
3: Um, probably not to the extent that you guys do. Um, I think you're very transparent, which is great. I love it. Um, but I mean others do. They all tend to be brands that make food similar to Big Dog in the sense that it's whole foods and it's, you know, it's handmade or, you know, it's it's made in a much more kind of, I guess, in a way that we associate with preparing food <laughs> in the traditional sense. Um, like it's ingredients that go in, they're mixed and then it's packaged, versus, you know, the very intense processes that some of the more um you know, traditional pet foods like kibbles and stuff go through. Um, I've certainly never seen a a kibble brand show behind the curtain (laughs) ever in any capacity, I don't think. Um, But I think that there's, I think that there is, well, there's one brand that I can think of off the top of my head that labels their, their, you know, commercial dry dog food honestly and transparently. Um, but generally speaking I think the only brands that are um, kind of letting people actually see what goes on in their factories and in their kitchens and all that sort of stuff are the whole food brands um, because I don't think that many other brands actually want people to see what goes on but the other thing as well is that most of the you know with the exception of your very very big companies that you know have their own factories most of the Um, the kibbles and stuff that are on the market I think are contract manufactured so they don't actually make them themselves so they couldn't show you behind the curtain even if they wanted to
2: what would you like to see in the pet food industry in a perfect world what would you like to
3: see (laughs) um oh (laughs) sorry that's a big question (laughs) (laughs) that's a big question I mean I would love to see it's sort of I mean it's a really difficult question to ask because there's so many elements to what I think goes on in the pet food industry that is problematic and I think it's all very connected. Um I think having um as a very very broad top line thing I think transparency is the main thing that I would love to see more of. Um I think education of um I guess the nutritional needs of our our animals at a more I guess, like a more basic level, not even basic, just, again, more transparent, more honest. You know, at the moment, a lot of the education about nutrition comes from businesses that make food, um, which is understandable to an extent. However, I think that they have infiltrated some industries that I don't necessarily think, I, I think that they should be separated, like the veterinary industry. I think that there's some very problematic relationships with the veterinary industry and the pet food industry that i think you know i think if you unpack that and you create silos between those industries then it may solve a lot of the problems in terms of having um better educated experts better educated pe- pet parents as a result of that um and organically you'll end up with better products on the market i think that you know it's one of those things like you can try and fix everything, but you probably actually only need to fix a few things at the top, and then the other things will organically get better. Um, but ultimately, I mean, I would love to see—I um, would love to see the industry regulated in a way that is um, not voluntary. <laughs> um, you know, unless you're—I ma- think a, a lot of fresh food products are much more heavily regulated than processed products because they the fresh fruit products are, are regulated by the meat regulators which are you know enshrined in legislation um whereas a lot of the processed um products that they're, they're not because they don't fall under those those rules um i think that having consistent marketing requirements um again entrenched in, in legislation would be really good um yeah i think you i think the thing is you need to take away the incentive to make bad products <laughs> um at the moment there's just there's so much incentive to make these kind of like cheap nasty products because it's it's widely accepted that that's what our animals eat I think we need to it's a massive exercise in re-education um in helping people I guess be empowered to make better choices that's that's something that I've always been very passionate about doing it's like I don't want to tell you what to do I want to give you the tools so that you can work it out on your own um and I think that's I guess, yeah, shifting the focus rather than just overwhelming people with information so that they throw their hands up in the air and they're like, I don't know what to do. I'm just going to listen to, you know, the shop assistant at Pet Barn or whatever, (laughs) which no disrespect to shop assistants at Pet Barn, I'm sure they're all lovely, but it's like, you know, these are ultimately like salespeople. I think that, you know, we're talking about the thing that, you know, arguably the thing that defines our animal's health more than anything else, I think, that we should – you know, as a a part of being responsible pet owners, we should be entitled to have honest, transparent information available to us so that we can make those decisions ourselves. And I currently think that that's not as accessible as it should be.
0: Yeah,
1: obviously coming from that to empower our pet parents, what are the things that you would say that it is the key things to have a look at the label that per- per- pet parents could go, okay, this is good or this is not. As-. Some red flags yeah. and green flags or whatever, <laughs> yeah.
3: Um, I mean, the biggest red flag for me is does the product sit on the shelf or does it sit in the fridge? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the exception of actually that, no, I'm going to take that back. That used to be true. It's less true now because we have a lot more products, like freeze-dried products coming onto the market, which are um, shelf-stable but still very, very nutritious. Um. But generally speaking, I think, you know, looking for whether a food is recognisable as food, like whether the ingredients are, you know, things that you recognise, things that, um, I guess, again, this sort of requires a bit of education. But, you know, things that dogs and cats should be eating, you know, look for ingredients that are, you know, species appropriate and, you know, that are going to support their their wellbeing rather than, I guess, um, hinder it, which unfortunately a lot of the products on the market are full of. (laughs) Um, yeah, look for, um, brands that will like let you behind the curtain, brands that will answer your questions honestly, brands that like if you ask a brand a question and they come back with an answer that kind of makes you not sure if they've actually answered the question or that actually makes you a little bit more confused than you were to begin with, like that's a really big red flag. They shouldn't be doing that. Like most businesses that are making honest products with integrity will have a conversation with you like a normal person. They won't give you a copy paste line. They won't give you like marketing speak. They'll just talk to you like a real person because they are a real person. (laughs) You know, I think that that transparency, transparency is probably the key thing that I would look for. That's the biggest green flag that there is. And it needs to be real transparency, not just the appearance of transparency. Um, Yeah, it's, it's it's a really hard thing to navigate without you know doing years of research but hopefully this helps people a little bit probably just confuses people even more um but in the article that I wrote for you guys there's I think I've laid out a few kind of I guess things to look for that's hopefully a bit hopefully helps a little bit but transparency is the main thing and species appropriate um real foods yeah
1: and it hopefully instigates them to to research a little bit as well which is
3: always yeah good. yeah definitely. Um.
1: Thank you, Claire, so much <laughs> for the fourth time. Sorry. <laughs>
2: thank, you. thank you, Claire. It's been horrifying and fun.
1: Yes. Thank you for agreeing yeah. to talk to us and for all this amazing information.
3: Oh, thank you for having me.
1: Awesome. Um, if you guys, any any pet parents out there want to, wants to read more about it, um, Claire's article is up on our website. And also, if you have any questions, just get in contact with us um, through our website as well. Thanks, Jess. Thanks, Yeah. yeah. See you guys next time.
0: Bye. Bye. (laughs) Thank you for listening to our podcast. For more information and content, visit the Big Dog Pet Food website. Please note that the information discussed is general in nature and has been provided in good faith for educational and informational purposes only. The information provided is not nor is intended to be substituted for professional advice or care. If any of the topics discussed raises questions or concerns for you regarding the health of your pet, we recommend that you consult your veterinarian or trusted pet health provider for individual assessment and
2: advice.